Good morning and welcome to Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move. This is Mark Carr, team member of the Becky Ivins Real Estate team here with Becky Ivins. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in with us. And we have an interesting show for you today. I think it's interesting because we're going to be talking about if you need to go to court because your real estate deal went south, (laughs) where do you start? What court do you go to? I mean, there's a lot of different courts involved. So we brought in our expert, Ron Shalott, who is my attorney at law. And uh, so take it away, Ron. Where do we start? Where do we start? How about uh, we start with uh, there are a number of lawyers in Oklahoma. Well, oh, there's a back when we had the yellow pages. Yeah. I think that was the biggest section in the yellow pages was lawyers. Well, it, it became that way. Uh, originally, it wasn't because lawyer advertising wasn't uh, legitimized. But then it became uh, legalized and approved ethically. So all of a sudden, you had all the advertising. And now, of course, you've got advertising on this fine radio station, other places on TV, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, there's 18,500 and some odd lawyers a license with the Oklahoma Bar Association. Not all those are practicing in Oklahoma, but that's a pretty good number. And in case you were curious, which I know you are, there are about about 12,000 of those are men and 6,500 are women. Well, that's probably higher than in years past. It has. It it has really escalated. Uh, When I went to law school, you know, it's been a few years. Uh, we were starting to have more women involved in law school and then more in the legal profession. You know, in Oklahoma County, a matter of fact, we have actually more female district judges than male, which is different. You know, we we seem to have a lot of them, and we and those are elected. So do, do we so trust people, the female judgment more evidently than the male? I'm not sure why it's changed that way, but uh, we have a. Uh, wide diversity of judges in, in the Oklahoma County, at least, uh, system, which you know, encompasses uh, Oklahoma, largely Oklahoma County. Uh, but yet uh, it is something that is good to see because it's good to see you know, a lot of different uh, thoughts and, uh, and a lot of different judges and not the same old old, old um, guy judge we used to see back when I first started. And uh, but they're younger. Of course, they're, most of them are younger than me now. And uh, they're a pretty diverse uh, group of people. Okay, I've got a question. A lot of people will say, well, I'm calling my real estate attorney. Is there such a thing as a real estate attorney? That gets into a tricky question because of legal ethics. Technically, we do not have specialties. Uh, some states do have a specialization. Oklahoma does not have a specialization. We're just attorneys. But yet not every attorney practices every area of the law, and some of them are more limited in what they practice. So they have more of an expertise in an area. Originally, the lawyers handled everything, uh, but as you start to get certain areas of the law expand, become more complicated, for example, your your wills and your probates, your real estate, your criminal law. Uh, then you get into the civil disputes, civil litigation, your divorces and 
adoptions and all the other kinds of areas. Then you get administrative laws. Uh, You get uh, matters involving governmental entities, which is itself having certain rules and procedures you have to follow. So there's there's a lot you have to uh, know if you're trying to practice everything, and you can't practice everything very well. So you tend to pare down that which you are more interested in and, and that which you seem to have more of an affinity for and desire to learn more about because the different areas of law are all different. And, and that's where you know, we get to – there's also different court systems to be in as well. Right. Well, let's just kind of dig a little bit deeper into the specialty. Like I know that you do a lot of wills, probate, estates, and stuff. But I also know that you sit on the Oklahoma Bar Association committee for that, right? Well, I'm a member of the committee. So okay. I'm, I'm a member of the committee, uh, which is the Estate Planning, Probate, and Trust Committee. Very good committee, by the way. But uh, also I'm a member of the, the Real Estate Committee. Don't necessarily do a lot of involvement in that one, but it does keep me up on the nuances of that area. And there are other uh, committees you could be on, uh, except you just can't be on all the committees because you just don't have enough time to do that or to be good at any one particular thing. But a lot of these things overlap. For example, if you're doing a uh, family law divorce case, that can overlap into real property. Uh, So you need to have some knowledge of real property in there. The same way when you're doing uh, the estate planning, that uh, will necessarily overlap into real estate and real property. So you need to know how to handle those particular kinds of situations. And then when things run afoul, where do you turn or where do you recommend people go to? Well, and the first thing that our real estate contract calls for, I believe it's paragraph 14 or something like that. I think think it's 14. 14. I think it's 14. Okay. Uh, Is that the mediation clause, you, when you sign your contract, you are signing that you'll mediate before you'll litigate. And mediation uh, is a process where the parties to a dispute get together with an individual, a mediator, uh, who doesn't make judicial determinations or make decisions but instead tries to uh, attain an agreement between the parties to where each side uh, can walk away having uh, made this agreement and and settled their dispute. So it's a fine process. It works a lot of times, and sometimes it doesn't work if you have a party that is just obstinate and is not going to give an inch. But other times it does work, and it works more often than even I would have anticipated when those kind of things were were coming up in the practice of law. Both of you are correct. It's paragraph 14, entitled Mediation. Any dispute arising with respect to the contract shall first be submitted to a dispute resolution mediation system. Yes. (laughs) I love that system. And there are places that you can obtain a mediator. Uh, Some of them are paid, and and there's actually a couple of free mediation services that are available as well. But yet, 
It's trying to find somebody who does a good job of getting the parties together, looking at where do they agree, and then where can there be disagreement and trying to resolve the disagreements. Because there's going to be an overlap somewhere. And trying to find where that overlap is is uh, the the job of a mediator or the duty of a mediator to try to get the thing taken care of. So and the mediator really doesn't try to determine who's right, who's wrong, but just how to settle the dispute between the parties. Correct. And oftentimes they will meet with the parties together and then separate the parties and go to each one and meet with them and then come back and forth to see how close they are. It may be necessary to get the parties back together. It may not be. It may be something where uh, the parties can uh, forge an agreement that uh, everybody can live with because there it's something that nobody is particularly happy and nobody is particularly unhappy, but uh, it does get resolved because the the alternative is to get into an expensive court battle. And if mediation breaks down, does it go to county court? Is that the most often? Well, we've got a lot to discuss about that right after this break. Maybe we'll keep you out of that county court or whatever court it may be when we come back right here on Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move, News Radio 1000, KTOK. Welcome back to Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move. We are here with Ron Shalott, attorney at law, hopefully keeping you out of court. That's the thing. But if you need to go to court, you need to know which court to go to. And that's a very entangled system. That court, I mean, there's many courts around, right? Uh, If you're dispute over earnest money, where do you go, Ron? Well, Mark, before the break, talked about county court. Well, there really isn't a county court. There's a court in the county And there are courts that span multiple counties. But Oklahoma has, for quite some time now, been divided up into judicial districts for the court system. But first, you have to decide what court system are you in. Are you in a federal court system? Are you in a state court system? Are you in a city or municipal court system? And then... As we've discussed uh, quite a few times the last couple of years here, are you in a tribal court system? Oh, and, yeah. and that really makes the situation quite interesting. The, that, the tribal court system is largely involving when, uh, tribal lands and uh, Native Americans, the Indian population. So usually you're not going to see that uh, unless you're up in the Tulsa County area, in which case you might find yourself there. But that's a whole different uh, program that we don't uh, go into today. Then your question is, well, what about city or municipal court? Would that be a place where I go? Well, city or municipal courts largely govern their city rules called ordinances. Uh, and they're usually uh, things such as quasi-criminal matters, I'll say, like traffic tickets or, or, or criminal disputes of that nature. And each city or municipality would largely have their own courts. You've got one for Oklahoma City. You've got one for War Acres. You've got one for Bethany. Even though these are all in Oklahoma County, and then you can even go down to Midwest City, to Mustang, Yukon, et cetera. So 
your city courts just govern your city. And what you're looking at is, does the court have jurisdiction? Does the court have the capability to decide the matter? You think of jurisdiction, the word judicial comes from that. So that's where does the court have the capability of deciding and then enforcing its matter? You bring a action in an Oklahoma court, and the Oklahoma court decides, but if the matter really is in Idaho, can Oklahoma really decide something that's in Idaho? And that uh, gets into the idea of does the court have jurisdiction, the capability to, to decide on that? Then you, then you can look at, well, I hear so much about the federal courts. We're reading a lot about that in the newspaper, in the news. What's that about? Well, that's the federal court system, which is United States laws, congressional uh, laws and enactments and things involving uh, the federal uh, government uh, and the federal laws, but also if it uh, crosses state lines and you satisfy the jurisdictional requirements in federal court, you could bring it in federal court or to enforce a federal law, you could bring it in federal court. But if it's not a federal law, it has to be citizens of different states and it has to be above $75,000 in order to bring it into federal court. Uh, that's a technicality that you have to be careful of. Then you're looking at state courts, which is the, the most common thing we run into. And Mark mentioned county courts. Uh, and I said, well, but we really don't have county courts. We have district courts. It's Oklahoma's divided up into judicial districts. And uh, we have uh, the, the districts uh, encompass many different counties. I believe it's 26 judicial districts. Uh, by number, but you get some that uh, go beyond more than one county. Uh, McLean County, Cleveland County are in the same judicial district, number 26, for example. Uh, So you have that Oklahoma uh, District Judicial 7, which is uh, where we're located at. Uh, We uh, have a, uh, I said Cleveland County is in the 26, 21st Judicial District. 26th is Canadian County. Uh, we number them. Uh, Canadian County, Oklahoma County used to be together. They've since split it. So Canadian County is 26, Oklahoma is 7. And uh, it's the judicial district that governs the area. Where that gets confusing, like Oklahoma City, goes into seven counties. So if you've got a matter that's involving an Oklahoma City matter, you have to know which judicial district would it be in because it's not necessarily in the 7th Judicial District in located in Oklahoma County and Oklahoma City. Well, now I've got a question about that. If it's uh, you're trying to determine which judicial, judicial. for me to say, right, judicial <laughs> district uh, to file something in, how uh, is it where the property is located or where the buyer or seller are located? That gets into two kind of questions. One is who's got jurisdiction and the other, what is the proper place to bring it called venue? And those are things that we study in law school and then we try to keep abreast of as we're practicing law and they change. Uh, The statutes uh, have changed as to where you can bring certain actions. So you have to be knowledgeable about it, and you have to be careful 
as to where you're bringing it so you bring it in the proper place. Generally, and this is very general, but generally, if it's a real property matter where the property is located, is going to be a, a good choice to bring an action. You know, if it's located in Oklahoma City, in the 7th Judicial District, uh, then you could bring it here. Uh, if it is, however, uh, in, uh, for example, in Cleveland County, then you're in a different judicial district, even though it's Oklahoma City, and that would be the 21st Judicial District. So you would bring it down in Norman, Oklahoma. Then uh, are there other places you could bring it? Well, possibly, because the venue statutes uh, allow you to do that. Jurisdictionally, an Oklahoma court has jurisdiction over the entire state area, but that doesn't make it the proper place to bring the action because venue is important too, where the property is located. Where can you find the other individual called the defendant? That's a place you could bring it as a matter of venue, but then again to good lawyers, you'll look at that at times and go, well, if all the witnesses are not where the defendant is located, perhaps you would go for a change of venue. So there are technicalities involved in that. Okay. What, what happens if plaintiff or defendant is out of state or out of country? Well, out of state depends upon what kind of action it is. If it is a situation where they were here, the contract was made here, the property's here, you would assume that they would be subject to jurisdiction here. If they want to try to claim that it is an inappropriate place to bring it, it depends upon the kind of action that you've got. If it's just a simple contract action, again, you look at where was it signed, where is the place that it's supposed to be performed at, because that's where you would look at. Uh, You can still uh, bring the action, and potentially you can litigate it to its conclusion. Now, how do you enforce it? That's going to be the other other aspect of it. Or if it is above a $75,000 limit, you could bring it in federal court because the federal court systems can, can go further beyond it. But... That is something that when you're involved in litigation that you have to be wary of, and that's where lawyers uh, become involved and uh, usually earn their keep. So you said the threshold of 75000 for, for federal court. To do, okay. To do federal court. Yeah. If you're below that or falls below that, the federal court uh, will simply dismiss for lack of jurisdiction and will let you refile it in state court. Okay. So we've got an awful lot to kind of untangle here because we know a lot about the courts, but really, where do you go if you're having a dispute over earnest money? Where do you go if you're having a dispute over property boundaries? You thought you were buying a certain amount of land, and then the neighbor comes out and says, hey, why are you putting that fence on my land? There, We can give you some real-world experience on this, and we are going to. When we come back with more right after this on Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move, News Radio 1000, KTOK.
Welcome back to Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move. This is Mark Carr, team member of the Becky Ivins Real Estate team here with Becky Ivins and our special guest, Ron Shalott, attorney at law. And it is time for our word of the day. Our word of the day is brought to you by Robbins Roofing, where their word every day is trust. You can trust Robbins Roofing from a small repair to a complete replacement. Give them a call at 728-3700. That's 405-728-3700. Becky, what's our word of the day? Well, our word of the day is district. District. Let's throw it to Ron. To, well, how do we how to define a district? Becky, when you said that word of the day, Mark's eyes got real big, like... <laughs> What? What in the world are we talking? Well, where'd you get that word out? Well, you brought up county court, and so I brought up mm-hmm. district court as the remedy. we go by districts and not county. Exactly. Yeah. We go by districts. So district is a good word, and I'm glad she picked that one. Yeah. That's amazing that she pulled that out of the hat. <laughs> but a district, what is a district? It's, it's a territory under jurisdiction, and, and it used to be the jurisdiction of a lord or an officer. That was uh, the origin of it, uh, came from French and came through Latin, uh, comes from the same Latin root as uh, the word distress, which doesn't sound like it, but distress used to mean a sense of uh, constraint or uh, to compel someone. So it uh, gets into an area of, of pulling or putting together, such as pulling together as an area. So it's the area, the territory, where an entity, a lord in, this, in that case, or now we have governments, have jurisdiction or the capability of making decisions. We call them judicial decisions. So we have district courts, your attorney for the, the state government that brings actions, whether criminal or civil, is called a district attorney. They're not county attorneys. They're district attorneys. They're elected for districts. But that's the territory that they have authority over. You know, I never really thought about that, but that's that's kind of a, an eye-opener for me. District attorney is over a district. Mm-hmm. So I was always thinking the district attorney was over like a county. Yeah. And it's not. No, it's over a district. Wow. Oh. Okay. Over over your district, yeah. Lincoln County and Pot County are one district. So yes, two counties, right. one DA for two counties. And uh, if you go to uh, those county courts, one's in Shawnee, the other's in Chandler, and uh, you will have a district judge that will go over both. Actually, so it is interesting uh, how it's divided up, and when you're looking at that. What you find out sometimes, though, as an attorney, that if you're going to file in a certain judicial district, you have to file find out, well, which county do I go to? Because your judicial district doesn't mean that they all go into one spot. Uh, you actually, for example, uh, what, what Mike was talking about, you may have to file it in Chandler or may have to file it in Shawnee. So it depends upon uh, where the... D- Districts even divided up. So. Now I've confused you. 
Yeah, well, I mean, well, the thing is, is we're, we kind of need to clarify and simplify this. <laughs> and I, and somehow got curio- least- I got so many curiosity questions going on in my mind, but I don't know what the answers of them. So I'm like, I don't know to ask. Like, I, it's like, lawyer, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. But I got curious. Do you have districts that you would prefer to put things into? Do they run really differently from one district to another? Well, some districts uh, are in areas that are not very uh, uh, well inhabited. There's more sparse population. So your judges are not going to have a whole lot of cases. And we find this in the more rural districts in Oklahoma. Oklahoma County, a lot of cases in Oklahoma County. Cleveland County, a lot of cases in Cleveland County. And, of course, you know, like Lawton, Comanche County, you know, Canadian County, you would. You know, Logan County, not as many. Pottawatomie County, not as many. But you even get uh, further out, Jackson County, et cetera. You love those kind of places. Uh, even uh, less in terms of numbers. So you're kind of looking at uh, that situation as to the judge is not going to have as many cases. And consequently, uh, you have to wonder, do they even have knowledge of this kind of a case, although you, really all the judges are, are well, or they're, they're good judges, uh, every one. Would I prefer one over there? Not necessarily in Oklahoma. Uh, I've had good experiences in all the counties that I've been to and all the judges I, I've been before. Eh, some judges I prob- probably get along with a little better simply because of uh, factors that have nothing to do with being a judge. Just sometimes there are personality questions. I've I've never really felt unwelcome in any of the district courts that I've gone to. I mm. always thought I was uh, treated well by uh, by judges. Maybe I'm not uh, so wise because I I don't notice when I'm not being treated well. I don't know, but I but I tend to like them all. <laughs> I, I tend to like them all. So uh, you you have more variety in Oklahoma County, obviously, because you have. Uh, more district judges. You got 15 district judges in Oklahoma County, so consequently, uh, it's it's going to be a different judge whenever you file a case. It's random selection. So, question for Becky and you. I'd love to hear your opinion on what is the most litigated area within real estate contract. Like, what has brought the most litigation? Well, I can tell you what I think. Um, <laughs> Many times it's earnest money dispute, and in that case you go to what's called an interpleader court, which is typically a, a – I think the interpleader is kind of like a uh, – what do you call a small claim court? Small claim court uh, most of the time, but condition of property, I would say, by far is the number one litigated uh, thing is – the buyer feels like the property wasn't what the seller, seller said they were. They're covering up something. Uh, and so that's my opinion. What's your opinion on that? I think those are a couple of really good choices. Uh, you know, I haven't really given it a whole lot of, of thought as to uh, those kind of things. Title, I see more of, simply because those cross into my desk more. Uh, is there a claim of title, lien claims? Those are litigated uh, quite a bit. Uh, 
because those are things that don't get resolved very well. You were talking about interpleading. That's where the uh, whoever's holding the money uh, actually puts it into court and says, look, we don't know who's supposed to get this. So, judge, we're throwing it into the court, and you guys decide it. We're out of here. You know, that's that's the idea there. But sometimes there are situations where it's not interpled, but instead you do have uh, a party holding the money, in which case you do file an action for that money. And and then it depends upon where do you want to go in terms of the court system. If it's, you know, under $10,000 or $10,000 or under, you can go small claims, uh, which is a, a faster and without... Uh, lawyers, but otherwise you go to a regular district court, uh, then you're going to involve lawyers and uh, more of the paperwork. So, so a question on earnest money, Becky. I know we, we don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but earnest money, uh, listener, if you, you know, it's money that is held, that's put down, is held by someone, and that's the question I'm going to get to you, Becky. Is the someone holding the earnest money that basically keeps the feet to the flame? Uh, that if the Buyer cancels out the contract during the inspection uh, period. Most likely that money is returned to the buyer. And then if they break contract, uh, then the there's dispute on the earnest money. My question, and we're right before break here, is who is the best person to hold earnest money? It can be the one of the brokers. It can be the title company. Or it can be a lawyer, I believe, can hold earnest. But it has to be... Held by someone. Someone or some entity needs to hold the earnest money, and we'll talk about that. When we come back with more right here on Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move, News Radio 1000 KTOK. Welcome back to Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move. It is time for our smoking hot deal. Our smoking hot deals are brought to you by Casa Perico Mexican Grill, located on the south corner of 122nd and Penn on 63rd, just west of Meridian, and at 505 East Main Street in Yukon on Route 66. Typically, we bring you a particular smoking hot deal, but on this week, we want to encourage you to go make your own smoking hot deal. Our website is really easy to maneuver and is a direct link into the Multilist system, so you can search live just like we search when we go on the Multilist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have a little bit more limited search than what a realtor can search for. I mean, like you can search, we can search for, we want to buy, find something with taxes between $1,800 and $1,900 a year. I mean, well, that's not a very viable search. It's not a very useful search for most people. But the main things that a buyer would look for are available to search by. And we can tweak your search by just having it. Uh, you set up your search, and then we, we can tweak it on our end to get exactly the properties, expose you to exact properties you're looking for. And if you have especially something that you go, if I knew a house would, would come available in a certain neighborhood or in a certain waterfront or a certain whatever it is that's meaningful to you, whatever encourages, give us a call. Because often those smoking hot deals we know are coming to market before they hit the market. 
if we know what you're looking for. You know, we've got one coming to market that is an acreage in Edmond that has a swimming pool, over 100 trees in the front yard. So call us if you're looking for (laughs) a slightly upper end home. Yeah. Acreage in Edmond area with that would... Beautiful. So the number at the office is 405-722-3232. That's 722-3232. And help us create your own smoking hot deal. Right. Okay. Now, right before we went to break, we were talking about uh, like an interpleader court. And interpleader court being, uh, that's just what it's called in real estate, right? I mean, is it called something else in a different area? Well, it's an interpleader action. Interpleader action. action. Right. It, it's brought in the district court, but it's an interpleader action. It's a specific type of action, or it can even be an aspect of an action. Uh, if you have a dispute between two parties and somebody else holds the property or the funds, they can interplead it to keep them out or to get them out of the case. Sometimes you'll file an action against more than one party, and maybe one of the parties is actually holding something but they don't really have a, a dog in the fight. So they say, fine, we don't care. Here it is, and, but they need to put it somewhere. And so if it's cash, you know, they pay it into court, interplead it in and say, okay, we've done all we can do. Get us out of here. Dismiss us. Well, and then earnest money itself is a good faith deposit, right? Well, earnest uh, means uh, that you've got a sincere desire and intent. And so to prove that, you put forth a sum of money, you put forth something, uh, and to make sure to show that I am serious about this and I will agree to lose this if I back off of it. Otherwise, you would just sign, for example, a purchase contract, don't put any money down, and you can sign them all day, and then, well, I'll cancel this one, I'll cancel that one, and the seller. You know, they take it off the market, and you know they lose money, they lose other opportunities. So the idea of the earnest money is to show that there is an intent, there's a desire, right? And and that's just an kind of an insurance that they will the buyer will perform on their contract. And it's not going to be an onerous amount of money, like it's not going to buy the house, but it is hopefully enough to uh, make a buyer think twice if they're just going to cancel it for no good reason. There can be contractual reasons that are good. A common earnest money amount is about 1% of the cost of the property. Uh, and that's a, it's not a requirement it, at all. It's just that's pretty common to put up about that much money. Sometimes it depends upon the, the different parties. One of the first trials I had as a lawyer was on returning earnest money. And so that's back in 1983. Uh, in fact, it was right after Thanksgiving. I remember. How did you find the bank to, uh, you probably couldn't find the bank that held the mortgage on the property in 1983, right? Because they were going out of business one right after the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, this actually was two private individuals. It was an individual, uh, two individuals who were having a, a property dispute over a purchase. I don't remember I remember the names. I don't want to say them, but uh, I remember the names very well. Yeah. Uh, but it was right over. It was the Monday after Thanksgiving, my first trial. I was scared to death. But anyway, uh, the idea was is that uh, one party had 
given the money to another party to hold. And the deal went south, and they wanted their money back, and there was a dispute over whether they should be entitled to get it all back or part of it back, et cetera. But, but the earnest money is just simply a way for a seller to know that, okay, if they've withdrawn the property from the market or they've incurred expenses, that they'll get some of that back. Right. Well, and now they get all of it back, typically, if it's a clean, clean break on the contract. But they uh, can negotiate somewhere in between, too, if, if the parties agree to that. So... Okay, so where's earnest money held? Many times it is held with a title company now instead of a real estate broker. Now, real estate brokers are required once a year. I read the little book as to what I'm required to do earnest money-wise and how you hold it and how it has to be labeled in your bank account and stuff like that. But, and there's rules about what you can do with earnest money or what you must do with earnest money. However, there's those rules don't apply to a title company. They don't have they're not bound by the rules of real estate. They're not a licensed real estate entity. So So and like one of the things, like if I if I'm correct on this, is like title companies are not required to go to interpleader court. Is that correct? They are not required to As and a broker you are. Yeah, if well, you're holding no, earnest you're, money. no, you're Is not required correct? to, no, but okay. you can. Okay. I mean, as a broker, I can make a decision yeah. as to who gets the earnest money, but then that leaves me wide open for a lawsuit that from the other party, with you. Yeah. and I would rather hand over the money to the, the court and let them decide, and that way nobody comes back to... Yeah. Say, well, you made the wrong decision. Right. You know? And that's because, Becky, your lawyer is very expensive and you don't want to spend <laughs> <laughs> this, this could be a partial reason, Ron. <laughs> yes. Oh, but funny. in some states, uh, actually, lawyers are part of the real estate transaction. Uh, that used to be a fairly common rule. So lawyers would hold the money uh, and be the one to arbitrate it, for example. That gets into some ethical questions, though, because if you're a lawyer for one of the parties and you're holding the money, would you give it back to your client or who's your client? And so it can get into some ethical problems in that regard. So it's a good reason for lawyers not to be involved in that either. Hmm. Well, and in other states, many other states, lawyers actually close the transactions, whereas we don't. We use title companies, yes. closing companies. Quite a, quite a bit of difference from state to state. Any last word? Well, if you're going to be going to a court, I would suggest that you seek legal counsel, if nothing else, than just to give you an idea of what you're getting yourself into, where do you go, and what the expenses are, because sometimes the expense is more than the whole argument is worth. Yeah, that's a good idea, too. Well, I tell you, if just talking about lawyer and attorney at law pings something in your mind that you need to talk to one, I encourage you to reach out to Ron Shalott. You can go to BeckyIvins.com. That's B-E-C-K-Y-I-V-I-N-S.com. Click on Becky's Favorites. You'll see him right there. As always, thanks for being with us here on Oklahoma Real Estate on the Move, News Radio 1000 KTOK. Always watch over you. And may all of your hopes turn to wishes.
come true. May each day 